Okay, so we're back again with another episode of In the Winter Should Have Been. I am Bob. I'm here with Mark. Good to be back, folks. This is actually my third attempt at starting this because <laughs> I've had some mic issues. So this may not feel as natural and unforced as... <laughs> because all of our episodes feel record. natural and unforced. <laughs> <laughs> we are just incredible professionals. Yes, yes. Well, I mean, the authenticity, I think, certainly comes through in some of the mishaps that we encounter, Mm -hmm. but... (laughs) uh, All right, quickly recapping things that I have said a couple times already. Mark is still in Europe. He is graciously joining me in the middle of the Uh night, practically. And, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about a movie today, (laughs) like we always do. Yeah, that's that's a good synopsis. Thanks, everyone, for for being... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> for being patient in my absence, it is a joy to be back on the cast. It has is, is felt like too long, and I am just, just jazzed and excited to be talking about films again. That's good. That's good. I, I confess I was slightly worried that what would end up happening is you would go to Europe, and you would get a break from the podcast, and you realize, why have I had this experience in my life when I could be rid of it and, and just not want to ever start again? So, fantastic. Especially since I tried to record a solo episode, and it was... Awful. I could not do I it. I must admit, I, 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 I need... saw that and I was like, oh no. <laughs> Bob Bob needs a companion back again. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I need, uh, uh, to use a fancy word, an interlocutor mm-hmm. for me to, to actually to work with. So, because I've wasted a ton of Mark's time already, uh, let's jump straight to this. We're actually going to talk about a movie that came out, was it earlier this year, I think? Uh, yes. Was it late last year? I think it's a, uh, well, it's a 2021, so late last year, yeah. Okay. It's called Pig, mm-hmm. which is not a very descriptive title, I guess. Um, it's an independent film, stars the amazing Nicolas Cage in one of his strange indie roles that he decides to take mm-hmm. on. I'm not sure, like if you were to pick a genre for this to be classified as, what kind of genre would you put this film in? That is a really tough question because some of my commentary surrounding this film would center around how bizarre it is as a concept. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's not. <laughs> so let's talk about things it isn't. It's not drama necessarily or like pure it's drama. Not, yeah. Not straight. Yeah. 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 It's not action. It's not thriller. It's not. Um, it's not really like a crime a, movie. No, a it's crime not like a period piece. It, yeah. No. Uh-uh. It's modern day setting. It's it's indie indie drama. Yeah, I don't know if there is it is there a category for this? I don't know. Not one that fits it neatly. I don't think so. Yeah, no. which is part of the interest and appeal of this film in some ways mm-hmm. to me is that it doesn't neatly fit into one of those kinds of categories. Yeah. So We'll we'll see if we can go a little ways without spoiling it too bad, maybe, like we, we tend to do for more recent films. Do you want to mm-hmm. give a, a brief setup of, of what gets the plot rolling, or do you want me to... Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, I think I was... I, actually, I was definitely the one to kind of to bring this film to the table, because I had seen it and enjoyed it, and I was like, Bob, you should watch this. Let me know what you think. In my brain, I was thinking either he loves this or totally hates it. Um, which either way I would be interested in the discussion. Um, but this is a, a film, obviously we've talked about Nicolas Cage as the star, a grisly kind of ruffled hermit of a, of a guy who lives out in the woods 
He's a, a truffle hunter by trade, so he uses this prized truffle pig of his um, to go out into the woods in kind of remote Oregon and find truffles. And if our audience members know what truffles are, they're a very exotic, um, expensive, coveted mushroom um, that's served on a lot of fine dining dishes. He, I'll reiterate, hermit of a person, someone who has totally given up um, kind of the luxuries and interests related to his former life, living in Portland, Oregon, the outside world now to him. Uh, and this is what he does for his living and he's content to be completely alone in the woods. Um, this pig though, that helps him um, in his occupation, I guess you could call it, it's kind of hard to even call it an occupation because it basically just gets him by. He wants to be alone. Uh, this right. pig is, is, is stolen from him um, by a couple of hooligans, so to speak. Um, and so then the film sort of rolls on from that point in terms of he wants to get this pig back. It's more than just the way he makes a, a hermit living. This pig is close to him. It's his, it's his pet. It's his companion. Um, yeah. 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 Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Well, I mean, that's, that is the gist of the story is him searching and trying to find, um, his truffle pig. And eventually it involves him going back into, uh, urban Portland society where he, without spoiling is, is a well-known figure. I won't maybe speak to that quite yet. Um, he, he from his past, um, and sort of reintegrating himself with his past in order to try to find this pig. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They, they bring that up very early on, both his, his sense of isolation and, yeah. and it is a deliberate choice, right? We see that through his actions. And then as well, that the pig is not merely a working animal in the way that some people mm-hmm. have animals that they are not I mean, they, they care for them, you know, they have affection for them, but they're maybe not close to them because it is, you know, a tool in their employment. He actually thinks of this pig as a companion, almost more as a pet right. in conjunction with the work that it does in helping him find those truffles, which which is, again, an important element to the rest of the film, which is, you know, as he is searching for this pig, again, mm-hmm. the question naturally arises, is this because he needs the pig to survive or is this because he wants the pig back as you know his sole companion that he actually cares about in his life is it a mixture of both you know how do those things work together and it creates a lot of the some of the the tension in the film as it goes along and i think his his first exchange of actually sort of selling the truffles to one of the epicurean guys who buys it from him they make Mm -hmm. it clear that he is almost in a sense disgusted by the occupation itself. Maybe disgusted might be a strong word, but he doesn't look upon the fact that he's selling the truffle very fondly. It's sort of like, I'm doing this because it sort of makes sense for me to actually be able to continue living out here. Um, He's not really interested in the business itself. He's not really trying to make profit or make money. Um, This is merely a convenient way for him to kind of continue his lifestyle. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. We see that in his, again, in the very first moments of the film, his actions, that he doesn't spend a lot of time looking for truffles because he's not trying to make a lot of money. Right. He simply found this the most expeditious way to maintain a life doing what he has chosen to do. Mm-hmm. And this is just a means to an end for him. Yeah. 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 What were your kind of immediate thoughts, like jumping into the film as Nick Cage in this role? Um, I'm curious to see what you think. I oh comment in a second but yeah yeah so with Nicolas Cage playing this role he's such an interesting actor in so many ways that he is he is oh man 
he is so different when you see him interviewed. I watched, I got a TV for <laughs> yeah. this from the library. You watch the bonus features of him learning uh, some of the things that he does in the film mm-hmm. uh, without spoiling exactly what they are, where he's learning about them. And as a person and as an actor, uh, you know, where he's not actually on screen or about, you know, the camera's on him, he isn't a very impressive person to me. <laughs> Yeah, now fair. it's not to say it's not to say that he's he's a bad person or that he is particularly unintelligent or any of those things, but it it underscores how average he is. Underscores to me how well he is able to act to inhabit the different roles he is given to play. Yeah, that when he is given lines to say and a way to say them, or or he comes up with ways to say them, he's able to to really personify and inhabit in a way that actors are supposed to do mm-hmm. someone other than who he is, that he's kind of got that chameleon quality to him. And so I was really excited about this character being like um, one of the other favorite characters I've seen him play in a movie called uh, Joe, mm. which I think I've talked to you about briefly before where it is, it's not an over-the-top character like he does in some of his money-grab films or, or even like Con Air where he's playing the, the cliched action hero. Um, yeah. But it is a much more a nuanced kind of role for him to play where it is not a person that you would expect. And so I was, I was excited right from the jump about where this character might go. And I was please, pleasantly surprised by some of the choices that were made in the film uh, kind of subverting my expectations later on with the character as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think in a role where in this film he doesn't have a ton of dialogue, like it's very intentional dialogue, I think he's able to convey, convey um, a really like compelling and, and convincing kind of like solemn, you know, without without speaking too much about the character's past, but like dull pain that this person has mm-hmm. gone through, mm-hmm. someone who's who's been through a lot of pain, but that pain has dulled to the extent that sort of like they, they continue to live on with the memory of, you knowing they don't quite have what they once had, but they're going right. to continue forth. Um, I think he, I think he does a miraculous job at that. Even visually the way they sort of sculpt him as a character physically, like, I don't know if he did transition physically for that role or if that's sort of just cosmetic, but uh, I think it's very convincing. Uh, they did a great job. Yeah, there was certainly some good makeup work yeah. uh, in this movie. But I, I think, too, that Nicolas Cage has made some good choices acting-wise of something that not every actor does or can do or wants to do, of leaning into his age mm. and playing parts that suit who he is at this point in his life. And I don't want to denigrate too much the choices that say... Tom Cruise has made, but Tom yeah. Cruise has been trying to play a guy in his 20s. He tried to play a guy in his 20s well <laughs> his into his career. 40s. Yeah. And now he's, he's, that's probably passed, but he's still trying to play a guy in his 30s most of the time, mm-hmm. even though he's, what, pushing 60 now, probably. And, okay, if you can pull that off, that's fine. I mean, it's acting. You're supposed to be able to portray people that are not yourself, but there's a, a, an easier time of it and a more believable element when you have someone like Nick Cage, who's, you know, he's got the gray hair and the gray beard and he's not in fantastic shape. He doesn't look like he's, Mm -hmm. you know, terribly physically fit. It suits him in this role and it allows him to play this kind of part that he wouldn't have been able to play very effectively, probably 20, 25 years ago. 
that he is he is suiting the role to the age and still finding interesting things to do. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, yeah, I think I think they did a, a miraculous job with that. Um, I question I'm going to ask is like how far down the spoiler train do we go with this? Like so. I yeah. think that we've gone, we've gotten about 12, 13 minutes in, whatever it is, we can say, all right, here's the point where the spoilers mm-hmm. begin. If what we've described about this movie sounds like it might be all interesting, mm-hmm. now's the time to pause this, because you will come back, please, and finish. Um, but then you can go watch this film and come back and see what we have to say about it. But we can, I think, from here on, you know, mm-hmm. beyond this point, be spoilers, enter at your own risk, as it were. Okay. So I'll give a little synopsis, I guess, of where we left off. Um, yeah. Plot wise, the one thing I say I'll say about the pig being stolen is that's a very visceral scene, like kind of like the the pig screams as these two people sort of invade his woodland home and take it away and and knock him out is is pretty heart wrenching. Um, it's it's a sort of a grim start to the film, I'll put it that way, which it's a yeah. fairly grim film. Um, but anyways, his his pig is stolen. He uh, kind of searches out through the local truffle hunting community to find out if anyone knows who those people were. He finds out who the people were that acquired the pig, stole it from him, but he then needs to find out who they sold the pig to. This leads him back into Portland and into this sort of weird dark web of the um, underground food scene, so to speak. And this is partly where the film gets a little bit interesting to me because I'm really into the culinary world, into the restaurant world. I've worked in restaurants in Seattle um, and sort of seen the, the archetypes of what these people are. Um, that being said, this is on a totally different level. This is like really weird niche, <laughs> like restaurant world type content. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it there, I guess, for now. Um, there's a lot that happens in terms of the people he reconnects with in the restaurant world and how he turns out to be a, a very well-known chef from his former life um, yeah. in his hunt yeah. for the pig. Yeah. There, there was a thing that happens early on that they, they let you know that he has experienced some sort of loss. Yeah. And there's a tape, uh, an audio cassette, that he starts to play but he does not finish playing. And from that we gather that there was a woman in his life that is no longer in his life. Mm-hmm. But they don't tell you why at that point in the movie. And then even later on in the film, when we discover that not only is she just simply absent, mm-hmm. she has actually died, there is no explanation that I recall of why she died or exactly when she died mm-hmm. or, or any of these things. And there's enough of these moments where they don't actually explain these elements that I think that it gives the movie itself a greater feeling of this realism because Mm -hmm. as we kind of take on the point of view um, it is omniscient right because we're with cage while he's alone yeah Um, but we're sort of the outsider like his the young man who to whom he sells truffles and to whom he kind of strong arms into helping him because he has he didn't have a car he can't get around he needs someone to help drive him yeah so it's like a, a threatening to kind of blow up their business deal if he doesn't mm-hmm. help him recover the pig. And so we're kind of along for this ride. And because he is such a solitary private person, it suits the film to not tell us these things about his past, mm-hmm. except insofar as the people who already know about them would discuss them or mention them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's such a, an effective way of doing that so that everybody who knew 
this woman? Was it his girlfriend? Was it his wife? We're not. I don't think we're told. I think we maybe don't know. it's implied. It's his wife because of the last name. I think so. The, yeah. The the the. She's been cremated. I think she's interred in a kind of like a vault or a mausoleum. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, I mean, you don't even get this information because everybody who talks to him about her already knows all about it. Mm-hmm. They don't need to bring it up again in any sort of detail. They don't need to hash it out as if it were exposition, because they, you know, that would wouldn't make sense. And so you're left with this sense of like knowing about it vaguely and how it is affecting things, but we don't become privy to it. And the movie does this. Well, I mean, that was the one that was most prominent, perhaps, to me. But everything in this is is very spare. It's very sparse. There's not mm-hmm. a ton of dialogue, and we don't get these blocks of exposition like you so often get in a lot of a lot of mar- modern movies. And I'm glad they went about it that way. Like to your point, no one's ever going to discuss in repetitive detail what everyone already knows in conversation about a loss like that. That's never right. going to happen. So it definitely does give it this vein of realism. Um, and and they don't have to harp on it too much because I think Cage does a good job of just portraying what that loss means through who his character's identity yes. is. He yes. doesn't need to bring it up himself. They don't need to drive a lot of conversation around it. Everything he does and what he says embodies what that loss has meant to him about the world. So the way he interacts with that young character that he's sort of foisted along with him, the way he interacts with chefs he meets and how he sort of breaks their world apart you know, in front of them. Oh uh, yeah. Embodies his own understanding or his personal experience of like, well, what really matters, you know, and to him, mm-hmm. what really mattered is what he lost. And so that's, he does a good job of conveying that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I'll leave this point. We can move on to something else. But yeah. the other thing that you often see was an expositional tool is to have a third person explain to another in the absence of the person about whom they're speaking, what it is that occurred for the benefit of the audience, right? You would have the cage would not be present. He'd be off doing something. Someone who knew him would then speak to his young companion to relate to him this tale. Yeah. So that the audience really is the one that gets told, but they, they eschew even, even this kind of method. They don't have a situation where that occurs and it just doesn't, doesn't come up. It's sort of like the, it's like the audience helper type scene, you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) like we put this in to help the audience understand like they didn't need to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so I mean, we don't have to go blow by blow through this film. Sure. One of the, the things that really stood out to me, uh, there were a couple big moments that, that did maybe three. The first one is, uh, when he goes and reconnects with the underground world of restaurant employees, <laughs> that weird, yeah. like, it's not a fight club, but it, it took me is. a while of thinking about what that was actually about mm-hmm. and why he was so valued when he went there, right? Mm-hmm. What that looks like is an opportunity for people to get revenge on the chefs they hate. Yeah. Right, because he and the other person don't do anything but stand there, mm-hmm. and so it becomes a, a a thing where you can make money by allowing someone essentially to beat you up, mm-hmm. and it it makes sense when he explains this, uh, the film explains this so indirectly again without using exposition. He meets the man running it 
who is apparently a well-known kind of figure in kind of the organizer the homeless yeah. world or the 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 world of this you know people live on the street in a sense it looks like mm-hmm. and then he says your name isn't worth what it used to be the idea is is he's not going to you know you can't get any money out of this yeah and you eventually you then later learn why when he forces his way in and everybody throws a zillion dollars, you know, I exaggerate, but they bet really big, yeah. they pay a ton to be the one to get him. And you realize later, even later in the film, once you realize what his job has been, that he has been a chef, because they haven't told you that yet, mm-hmm. that someone, that there's still people around that remember him and, you know, have been dying to take a shot at him, you know, again. Mm-hmm. And it's, I don't know that such things exist i mean you've worked in restaurants far more than i have it seems unlikely but at the same time it doesn't seem quite so fantastic as to be mm-hmm. utterly utterly unrealistic particularly in a world where we have films like fight club i don't know right i've never heard of that kind of thing but what i what i do so first of all what i did like about the scene is like again lack of exposition you're figuring mm-hmm. it out how the film how that scene was shot you are just as an audience member being like what is going on right now um yes yes at, at just that like point, his companion exactly at that yeah because you see the reactions of his companion at that point you're totally bought into the film or you're just like you know you're gonna back out because that's a pretty insane violent scene um yeah. so i haven't heard of anything like that but what i do think it speaks to is like kind of the underlying like hardship and grief that is the restaurant job so these people that work super long hours, they stay up late into the night, they don't really get to connect with the society of family and friends who work perhaps more normal or even white collar occupations. These are people sort of slaving day after day in a very hierarchical type occupation. Head chef tells you what to do. It's abusive. You get berated for making simple mistakes. All that stuff sort of builds up into this underlying anger that you wish you could unleash on someone. And so they're sort of speaking to that culture of, you know, line cooks, dishwashers, like it is a, it is a tough industry and there's a lot of sort of resentment and anger that, that resides beneath it. And so I don't know if this actually happens, but it's an interesting way to sort of show that that existed. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. This was what I was thinking when I was talking about the excellent makeup work earlier is that they do an amazing job. He ends up with this, uh, this welt under his uh, left eye. Yeah. And they do a great job of manipulating that with makeup over the course of the film to show it changing, right? It Mm -hmm. starts out red, bloody, puffy. It becomes this purple, swollen thing by the end of the film. And it's a great attention to detail and seeing how, you know, the wounds that he's encountered shift and change. Mm -hmm. But the way that he leaves them alone also, again, goes back to his first appearance, right? That he's scruffy, He's dirty. He's living in a shack in the woods. He is utterly indifferent to these kinds of material things and yeah. not, you know, taking care of himself any longer in any kind of meaningful way. He and he doesn't even bother to clean the blood out of his hair when he gets after he gets beat he's up. He's literally like a wild hog, you know. He's yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he's a big dude. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I thought the so continuing to explain more about the story here. So as he. Uh, I may be misinterpreting it. I'm trying to remember, but like, does he use that money to sort of buy information about where the, where the pig is? Right. The, I, if I remember correctly, the money goes to the guy organizing it. Like he doesn't right. take anything with him. And in exchange, he gives him a name, another lead. To exactly. Follow. 
I they track that down. Yeah. Yeah. So so then that leads him to uh, to a fine dining scene at a restaurant one, run by one of his former employees. <laughs> Nonetheless, and this is a fantastic scene. This is where a movie. So I'll explain a little bit something about myself actually when I watch films. Yeah, one yeah. of my big one of my biggest pet peeves is when I watch a serious film, and I see a scene that is so obviously comedic relief, and so poorly done that it takes me out of my element of seriousness in a film. I've talked about this many times in the podcast, I think. Yeah, you know, yeah. I don't like it when it's, when in my mind, it's poorly done to the extent that I feel like this is an obvious director or producer sticking their hand in the cookie jar and, you know, it, it removes a moment for me. This, I think, was an awesome scene because they're able to fold the plot in in a way in which they're having this fine dining moment and the chef... He reveals to the chef who he is, or, or vice versa. The chef remembers who he is, sits down with him, and he just picks this guy's world apart. You know, oh, he's he he eats yeah. the dish in, he eats the dish in one bite. These extravagant, you know, really expensive fine dining dishes, completely deadpan, and just asks the guy like, "Why are you wasting your time on like this overblown crap food? Like, didn't you want to open a bar?" And he just, the guy's world just shatters, right? Because this is a former person he looked up to, probably someone who is very, like, militant leader type person in, in control. And he just has utter authority over him from moment one. It's, it's yeah. yeah. This was this was the second thing that I was thinking of when I said there were kind of three big moments in this yeah. film. This, this is the second one, where mm-hmm. he goes into the restaurant, and they have the meal, or they start the meal. And it starts with that voiceover before they even get there, with the woman talking about, like... The, the local things reimagined <laughs> and deconstructed in different yeah, ways yeah, yeah. with like a, a, a seawater foam. With it's not inaccurate the, either. Huckabay. No, no, it felt is, and looked yeah. realistic. Yeah. And the, the scallop or whatever it was, yeah. right? And as you say, he just picks one up with his fingers and throws it in his mouth <laughs> and eats it. And then he immediately demands to see the chef. And while they're waiting, he just reaches out and squishes the other one with his thumb. Just yeah. like on the plate. When the guy shows up, he doesn't recognize him because he won't look at him directly. Mm-hmm. But when he finally looks at him full face, you can tell it's deliberate. Like, okay, I'm going to let you remember who I am. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, yeah, I remember. I fired you from my restaurant because you would overcook the pasta. Yeah. And when you left, I asked you, what did you want to do? And you were like, I wanted to open up an English pub. And he's like, well, why didn't you do that? Mm-hmm. And the guy says, people don't want an English pub. Mm-hmm. And there's this this immediate tension that the of film, idea, ideolo- ideology, yeah. Well, of yeah. ideologies, but also mm-hmm. Nicolas Cage is representing the idea of why are you not doing the thing that you will be happy with doing? Mm-hmm. Like, why are you not enjoying the things that you enjoy when you can, instead of chasing after the approval of other people and trying to achieve money mm-hmm. and fame and fortune? when you don't really care about any of it, he says, and none of these people actually like you anyways, right? You're not actually getting the approval you seek, even mm-hmm. though you think that you're going to get it eventually. He even remembers yeah. the dish that that guy wanted to make. So he, yeah. he, he obviously displays this sort of like, not only am I in control and in charge, but I have a very deep personal memory of the people I've interacted with. And his ability to bring up that memory just absolutely lasers through this guy because <laughs> he's, yeah. he's, he's not expecting it. He's not expecting someone to have such a personal connection to him and remember him and understand so deeply that he's doing the wrong thing. 
with his right. life. Right, yeah. and you yeah. can see him just crumble right yeah. there. Mm-hmm. But despite that, he's still unwilling mm-hmm. to to acquiesce, or he's he's not willing to give up on you know the way that he thinks he ought to be trying to pursue his career. Yeah. In order to shift to doing something that will make him a lot happier in yeah. his career. Uh, Epic scene. <laughs> it was, yeah, yeah, and it's it's funny. It starts out hilarious. That's what I mean. It was end, good comedy. Yeah. It's just brutal. At mm-hmm. the end, you're just, you know, oh, it's yeah, it's so good. It's so mm-hmm. good. And this is where he gets his next clue, so to speak. So he was led there because the guy apparently uses truffles in his dishes. Where does he get the truffles? Therefore, where does he get the pig? Um, and so apparently the, the truffles and ergo the pig have come from a supplier, another supplier of the restaurant. So the restaurant doesn't own the pig that was stolen. Now they get the, the truffles from somewhere else. Um, and this is, I guess, leading up to the third scene you're probably mentioning. I, I would actually call there four, four scenes, but I'm guessing the third scene you're mentioning is the, the son and the dad dinner. It's Cage, the big right? reveal afterwards, really. Yes, yeah. That's that's what I'm talking about. I mean, we can stop and we can talk about the something in an in intervening period. The food part of it was interesting, mm-hmm. but to me, the the real, well, there was a real surprise before we get to this point, right? Mm-hmm. That they figure out who actually organized, planned, and executed all of this, caused yeah. it to take place, and that he is completely unrepentant and is refusing to return the pig. Yeah. And at this moment. I expect the movie to take a turn into vengeance, right? Mm-hmm. Vigilante justice, right? Because we've seen him inhabit this violent underworld. You keep thinking the movie's going to become that, yeah. And then it doesn't. Yes, It yeah. doesn't become that. Instead, it becomes an effort at reaching to try and find his underlying humanity. Mm-hmm. To forge a connection and a bond and persuade him to do the right thing. Which... Yeah was not at all what I anticipated and I thought it was fantastic. It's so fascinating. That that is one of the most fascinating parts of the film is absolutely what you said is you keep thinking that he's going to go into like Liam Neeson taken mode um and just absolutely obliterate everyone in his path and then he doesn't whatsoever. He he goes after no. the the moral soul of the people who have wronged him to sort of sort of redeem them. Um and you end up respecting him so much more for it because you could easily see him as this like violent bear of a man. And then he just completely reverses that on you. And he's like, no, I'm going to go after like what really hurts. And that's like who you are. Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, and, and again, even though he's, he's knows that there is pain there, mm-hmm. it's not seeking to exploit the pain in order to like, okay, I'm not going to hurt you physically. It's not pushing it logically. Yeah. No, it is, it is, again, trying to reawaken the sense of humanity by recalling to him a moment in his life when he was happy and in his companionship and mm-hmm. the, you know, the things that he loves in order to try and get him to understand the pain that Nicolas Cage is feeling from him, yeah. feeling bereft. And it's, it's brilliant and it's just so well done. And, again, completely unexpected for anyone yeah. that is steeped as you and I both are in mm-hmm. in movies and how the traditional path that you yeah. know, expect a film to take. Oh, it's great. Yeah, man. I, I, I love the way they go about the vengeance. It's not even really vengeance. I don't even know what the right word would be described. It Justice, I guess, is maybe more appropriate. But um, I like the... Uh, so I call the fourth scene, the fourth critical scene to me, is intervening between the last one 
the mm-hmm. dinner scene, and it's where he goes to that bakery of a former employee, so to speak. Oh, and just sort yeah, of that yeah. super intense, like close moment of like, he understands her talent, the the passion for, I guess, food that binds them together, and sort of that the slowness of that scene, and how he, when he tastes kind of what she had there that he went there to get, how he sort of loses himself in the moment and is like. You can tell he wants to be back in that world. Some part of him longs to be back in that world, but he can't anymore because it's broken for him. Um, that's a powerful yeah. scene. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I think, again, just from the way that the conversation went, I have to watch it again to be sure. Mm-hmm. It used to be the building physically used to be his restaurant. Yeah. yeah. And she has converted it now from a restaurant into solely as a bakery, which is what she does and what she enjoys. And, you know, she says, I, I kept it the way you had it for a couple of years, but then I had to change it. And you can tell that he's, one, sad that it's gone, mm-hmm. but two, he approves, right? That yeah. Like, this is the way it is. with his character, the way he was speaking to the other chef earlier, he's like, you're doing the thing that you want, that you enjoy, that you're good at, that makes you happy. As sad as I am, I can't fault that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think that scene is critical to draw a further connection between him and his prior world to let you see a little bit more of the deepness of his character too. He's not only someone who kind of was well-known and famous as a chef, but he was a community influencer too. You can see sort of a a connection he had with this baker who had worked for him. Um, Yeah. Yeah. He had influenced her. Yeah. Yeah. There's a question about who he is and what his character is as the movie goes along, right? The tension at the beginning that I was talking about is, does he need this pig for utilitarian ends, right? Is that why he's out here? Yeah. Or is it is it out of, you know, simply wanting to have his life, you know, not be disrupted and, and wanting to have uh, things continue as they are and, and be happy as best he can be? And we're given different kinds of bits of information. One, where we have... You know, he fired this chef for not being good enough at his job. And he goes to that underground, you know, you know, beat up your most yeah. hated restaurateur yeah. kind of club. And he gets, you know, the snot beat out of him by that mm-hmm. guy. So clearly there are people with a great deal of animosity to him. And the Edgar, the guy who organizes it, is also apparently very antagonistic to him. Mm-hmm. But then we get this turned around that, that he isn't seeking vengeance here at the end against the person that ultimately you know, masterminded the stealing of his pig when he's not able to persuade him. He refuses to take a huge sum of money as, you know, recompense for losing yeah. it. Um, and then his connection with the baker. And we ultimately get this payoff at the very, very end of the film that explains that. But there's this moment at the end of the dinner, I mean, they don't really even finish, mm-hmm. you know, that he does make the connection with the person who stole the pig, who's the boy's father and yeah he it it reminds him of his wife and the meal that they shared and there's this emotional catharsis that takes place and then we learn the most devastating news of all for him yeah that his pig has died that the people that were commissioned to steal it were incompetent buffoons yeah and injured it badly enough that it, it ended up dying yeah and this has all been an exercise in futility for him. He has suffered in all these ways for something that he is never going to recover. And the the breakdown that he has at that moment uh, is in silence. So strong, 
Yeah, yes. yeah. You just the collapse and you know the utter shock, the horror of it all, the disappointment, right? The the feeling again, that sense of pain and loss and being bereft is yeah. Cage just kills it. And it's yeah. just amazing. Oh, he scene. just destroys it. What a deep scene too. So the person he's trying to make the person he's trying to get to confess, redeem, you know, acknowledge their wrongdoing is someone who has lost their own wife. So someone mm-hmm. who is, whose wife has died. And the way he does that, like you said, is he cooks a meal for them that he, again, he has this sort of personal memory from way back when on some random day, he cooks the exact same meal. He serves the exact same wine that he goes out and finds the identical vintage for. I'm not going to lie. I really like that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, And so he, he makes this person break down and acknowledge their own loss and the significance of that memory. And that person's story echoes his own, right? He's lost his own partner. He's lost his own wife. And so again, this building up this character of someone who's like, sort of willing to go out of his way to do that for someone else, even though he he's in the pit of that pain himself. Um, and yeah, then again, because, he hits double whammy and it's like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because he sees again, this idea of, of trying to redeem some element of that, that even mm-hmm. though you've suffered this loss, it doesn't have to uh, mean that you cannot have any sort of experience of joy or satisfaction that he mm-hmm. has found comfort through the the having this pig as a companion in his solitude that he is even if he's not happy yeah. he's found peace he's found some some measure of contentment mm-hmm. and he's wanting to provide that or to remind him of what things used to be so that he can i guess come to terms with his loss of his wife that he has never been able to do and mm-hmm. and, and presumably as well to reconcile with his son to some degree that there's yeah. been some tension there too and just the devastation at you know achieving that and still failing ultimately to to accomplish what he was hoping to accomplish fully oh man and plot wise such a niche plot like i think if you're pitching this in the writer's room or whatever this is the analogy i bring up a lot like i just don't see a lot of people going for this i know this is sort of in a sense an indie film but like Mm -hmm, talking about mm -hmm. the the food underworld former chef like this story is so specific but so well executed um yeah i love that it doesn't end happily really no yeah right that there's still a lot of irresolution and a lot of pain and things and the the key moment that that ties a bow on all this for me though it's again important but it wasn't one of those kind of big three moments of real impact uh, real effect in the film is when he's talking to the young man again. He's starting to drive him home, mm-hmm. back out to the woods. And he says, you know, I don't actually need the pig to find the truffles. Right. <laughs> right. You yeah. know, I, I'll see you again on Thursday and we'll keep going. Mm-hmm. And he has forged that bond, almost a, a bond of friendship with this young man through these experiences. And it reveals, too, why he has been doing this this whole time. Mm-hmm. It's about the companionship and the loss yeah. of of what he views a, a friend. Right, the pig was his friend, uh, his beloved pet, because it was never about the utility that it provided. No, right. If he's completely able to do this on his own, right, he understands the trees and the undergrowth. I don't know how. Yeah. Like, whatever. Maybe it's entirely made up. It doesn't matter. But for the story, 
if he's able to do it himself, then it colors retrospectively everything that has come before as an effort to do this on behalf of something that he loves mm-hmm. out of affection rather than out of any sort of greed or desire or need mm-hmm. or any of these things. It is simply a voluntary uh, experience of pain to try and redeem something or someone else. He's not getting anything material out of it. Right. right. It's, it's all about, all about companionship and, and, uh, kind of a the pig was a coping mechanism for his own loss right a new form of companionship and yeah because he sort of completely turned his back on the world in which that pain is associated with so it's yeah yeah it it makes his entire experience one of of deliberate sacrifice Mm -hmm. rather than you know a a price to be paid for a an object yeah so i think they they end it end it very well with him kind of listening to that tape it's it's never going to be enough. Like it's never going to cure the pain to know that he's sort of now hearing from this loved one. I think he's sort of refused to listen to this up until now. Is that sort of the implication? Is like he did. That's what to. I got. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so like this is sort of a transitionary moment for him to be like, okay, I can reflect on this, know that it's hard, and and kind of move on, um, but not be a happy ending. You know, it doesn't need to be a happy ending. It just has to be uh, significant. Yeah. Yeah, he, he is again finding a measure of peace and in a, I don't know if it's ironic or just, you know, tragic twist, mm-hmm. the second loss, the smaller secondary loss has in some measure reconciled him more to the very first and greater one that yep. he experienced. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really, it's a really good movie. Go out and watch this movie. <laughs> I'm glad you liked oh. it. Yeah. 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 I, I had to think about it for a while after I was done. I got to the end and there was enough about it that surprised me that I wasn't sure mm-hmm. like how I felt about it when I got to the end. There's one other really notable film, I'm just going to mention this in passing, that made me feel that way when I saw it. I got to the end and I'm like, I don't know how I feel about that. Mm-hmm. Like it was very impressive. Uh, it was. It's called a movie called The Red Turtle, mm. which is an animated film. Um, it's, a, it's an odd one. It was animated by a French production company, I think, with uh, help from the Studio Ghibli, the oh, okay. uh, Miyazaki's animation company. Mm-hmm. But there's, it's not a silent, but there's no basically no dialogue in the movie. And when I got to the end, yeah, I had to stop and think about Didn't that for quite a think. while. Yeah. Didn't know what yeah. I think. And Pig it was the same way. Like I got to the end and I had to just sit with it and process for a while. It's fantastic. I think, I think for me it was like, was that actually as good as I seemed to feel it was? Because I think the feeling all, almost is like stronger than necessarily like some sort of cognitive analysis. But I think like Cage's performance really gutturally makes you you feel the plot and feel his character more than you sort of need to like you know express it in such finite terms. It's just you come away kind yeah. of emotionally in a state. Yeah, it's it's a real strong performance by cage and this is what i was thinking of in terms of you know connecting it back to our raison d'etre of you know thinking about oscars yeah it will be a crime if he is not at least nominated for for best actor for this movie um i'm not sure i mean it says 2021 i think it might have been i don't know if it got meets the criteria for oscars this year i think it might be one of those scenarios where it crosses over i need to look it up yeah yeah based on when and where it got released and for how long and theaters but you know he should at least be nominated, and I don't know. I, 
I think he might ought to win. This is a solid, solid performance for him. Yeah, so. it's completely outside of a lot of folks' band of what they think he can do, even though he's demonstrated similar similar type roles. So it's pretty cool to see. Very true. Yeah. Very true. All righty. Well, I mean, this is a little bit shorter episode. I, I think we covered that pretty well. I've said what I wanted to say. Anything else that you wanted to throw in there at this point or highly 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 recommend i'm curious to see what our audience thinks about it um you're the only person i i am kind of companion to that i know has seen this film and have talked about it with so i'm kind of curious to see what the more communal consensus is it on it um because i think it's fantastic so yeah all right well we will wrap this one up here i think we're going to try and sneak in another one while you're still uh in europe yeah at some point we'll see how that goes schedules are difficult to arrange but uh, we'll we'll move from uh, independent art house cinema, <laughs> low budget to something that is very very different uh, very for different. the next episode, yep. and uh, we'll see see if we can uh, juxtapose these two things maybe in a couple back to back episodes. So looking forward anyways, to it. Thank you for the time, Mark. I appreciate that, especially uh, my regards once again to your your wife for allowing you to interrupt your european vacation to talk about with movies with this joker in the united states and thank you to everybody who listened to the podcast all the way through we will of course return in a couple weeks with another episode thanks everyone we'll catch you next time <laughs>